Today is January 13th, 2021. The Democrats threatened to censure and impeach Donald Trump, companies stop political contributions to Trump Republicans, and armed protesters threatened to stop the inauguration. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends, and Split the Difference family to another fantabulous episode here bright and early on this Wednesday morning. We got all the good stuff from the left, all the bad stuff from the left, all the good stuff from the right, and all the bad stuff from the right, and you know what we're doing, y'all. We're doing our best to find that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. I know that y'all are here. Because you want to be able to push good political conversation, that you want to stop all the divisiveness that we are seeing in this world, and it does look like we're seeing a lot of it. So, come along with me as we do our best to objectively look at stories of the day, the modern politics, and try our best to be able to find that middle ground wherever possible, and of course, have a little bit of fun along the way. So, if you're interested, hop along with me as I jump on into our first story of the day, story number one. So, for our first story of the day, Democrats move to censure and impeach. So, this is something we talked about a little bit on Monday. We're going to dive into it a little heavily, little more heavily here. And uh, it, it's looking like some big moves are being made this week, especially in the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi is not messing around. So uh, Democrats and Republicans are wasting no time moving into a vote on whether or not to remove Trump from office. Many are calling upon Mike Pence to invoke the 25th, 25th Amendment and claim that Trump is unfit to serve and remove him as president. So, although it is somewhat debated, the general consensus is basically that Mike Pence could remove Trump from office if he invoked some very specific language within the 25th Amendment that speaks directly to whether or not a president would be unfit for office. A lot of the debate centers around the fact that the language was likely written speaking about whether or not a president was physically capable of actually holding and carrying out their duties as president. In other words, if the president was ill or if there you know, was in some type of accident or something like that and they were not killed or they were not dead, um, but they still needed to be removed from office, the vice president and the president's cabinet could then vote on whether or not uh, Donald or the president would be uh, able to continue to stay or whether they needed to go. So um, basically what would happen if Mike Pence did this is he would bring the vote. He would declare, you know, that he wanted to invoke the 25th Amendment. And then the cabinet, the presidential cabinet, would then vote as to whether or not Trump was fit. If they all decided that he was not fit, then the House would then vote and the Senate would vote to decide whether or not Vice President Mike Pence should be moved up into that role. If that happened, they would need a two-thirds majority in the, for a joint session for both the House and the Senate in order to be able to approve all of this and actually put Mike Pence in as president. So... Nancy Pelosi has stated multiple times that this is what she wants Mike Pence to do. It does not appear that Mike Pence is going to do it. And as a result, the Democrats are going to move to impeach. So uh, let's go ahead and hop in real quick. Uh, this, is, this is being reported by ABC News, talking a little bit about all of this earlier in the week. And our new poll with Ipsos shows a majority of Americans believe he should be removed from office before his term ends on January 20th. Two-thirds blame him for the Capitol riot that has left the country in a state of shock. Two-thirds. Well, on Capitol Hill, 
House Democrats are calling on Vice President Mike Pence to act to strip President Trump of his power for his remaining days in office. Our political and legal teams are covering all the angles. Mary Bruce starts us off. Good morning, Mary. Robin, good morning. Well, we are in uncharted territory here with just nine days left in the Trump presidency and with the nation and this city shaken to its core. Congress is now grappling with how to hold the president accountable for the violence that he incited here. Democrats this morning are making it clear they plan to move quickly. The House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is ramping up the pressure on the vice president to remove Trump from power. Pelosi warning Mike Pence if he doesn't act soon, she will. The House is slated to vote was slated to vote to censure Donald Trump last night, late last night, um, and then they're talking about actually moving for an impeachment vote today. It is very, very likely that they will impeach Donald Trump in the House. They only need a simple majority in the House to do it, which right now the Democrats hold a simple majority. And there are actually a lot of Republicans that are signing on to this as well. And we'll get into a, a very briefly a bit again as to like kind of like where the Democrats and Republicans, I guess, stand on some of this. And would it be beneficial for Mike Pence to actually step in and do this? You know, um, so if they move, uh, looking like they will actually move to uh, vote on articles of impeachment today, uh, the def the Democrats have the votes to do it. They likely will. That'll, of course, kick it to the Senate. The Senate then would actually have to have a two-thirds majority in order to actually convict Trump, impeach him in the Senate, and if that happens, he is removed from office. That is still much more unlikely to happen. However, Donald Trump would still be the only president in the United States history to be impeached twice so um if should the should the house actually vote to impeach donald trump it would immediately kick over to the senate and the senate would then have to have a trial and you know with that trial they would then decide whether or not they wanted to vote to convict so real quickly before we get in on this what is the difference between a censure and an impeachment that's probably a question that a lot of you have um it's a small difference all right but it actually matters a good bit so uh, a censure is a formal and public group condemnation of an individual, often a group member, whose actions run counter to the group's acceptable standards for individual behavior. So, a censure does not come with any type of legal ramifications, but rather is a strong rebuke of actions taken by a public official by the government. So, although it doesn't necessarily do anything, it is definitely not a good thing, and it absolutely mars the government or the public officials uh, record for you know the rest of time a censure is normally done in order to be able to let that person know that the entirety of the group right whether it's all the democrats or all the republicans or you know bipartisan rebuke of the actions that that person has taken so there have been many censures that have happened before you know you, that you can censure a senator or a judge or someone that's in the house of representatives it is basically just a way of uh, strong arming and letting somebody know that they've done something wrong without actually impeaching them and removing them from office. So an impeachment is a move to actually remove someone from office. Okay, that's the clear difference there. It's important to note here. The president can be impeached by the House, but not removed, which is what happened in the first impeachment. So the two chambers of commerce, or of commerce, the two chambers of Congress, somewhat act as a prosecutor and a judge in a sense. Okay, 
the House drafts the articles of impeachment, and they're the prosecutor. They bring forth the arguments, and they display it. Uh, they take all take a vote on it, whether or not they think those arguments are correct and whether or not the, per- the person or the president needs to be impeached. They then send those over to the Senate, and the Senate acts as the judge. They basically hear all the arguments that the House has given, they read through them, they debate them, and they decide whether or not to actually convict the president of wrongdoing. Should Trump be convicted in his impeachment by a two-thirds majority of the Senate, the Senate would then move to remove him from office and decide whether or not he could hold public office again. So if Donald Trump is impeached by the Senate this time, they could say, you know what, you've done something egregious. We're tired of you. We don't want you around anymore. Your your time in government as a public official is over. And as I talked a little bit out a little bit about on Monday, this actually could be a really really good thing for a lot of Republicans. So there's a growing movement on both sides of the aisle to remove Trump from office. Polls are showing like the ones that were reported in the video earlier that the majority of Americans see him uh, want to see him held accountable. And they say that he's responsible for what happened in the on Capitol Hill last week. That is uh, all, you know, absolutely stuff that is true. That's absolutely stuff that a lot of people want to see carried out very, very strongly. So now Republicans are working overtime to try and figure out what to do, right? Trump's, uh, a lot of the Republicans feel like they are pretty much at a crossroads, okay? It looks like they are likely going to be held with their feet to the fire and actually have to vote on whether or not they want to impeach Donald Trump. McConnell has said that there isn't time to hold a full trial in the Senate to convict Trump. And there honestly is a lot of legal gray area around whether or not they would be able to actually impeach him after he gets out of office. It's happened, I think, once or twice with a judge in the past, but there are many people that are looking at it and they're like, no, you can't do that. You can't impeach him once he gets out of office. And then at that point, it really wouldn't make all that much of a difference. So many Republicans, it looks like, that are more Trump Republicans, are actually trying to push this out in the hopes that it would get moved until it was he was already out of office. And then they would likely argue and say that you can't impeach a president after they've already left. It looks like that's kind of the strategy that a lot of Republicans are going for here. Like, we just don't have enough time. We're distracting from Biden being put in. We've got other fish that we need to fry, like COVID relief. Let's just forget this. Trump is almost out of office. Let it ride, and then we'll just figure it out after Biden gets in. So um, many right now are pointing to how Pence has carried himself through all of this as pretty much a standard bearer for where the Republican Party should go. And this is where I think a lot the key thing really kind of lies. So as much as people may be angry at Donald Trump and, you know, not like a lot of the things that he says and does, a lot of his policies were actually very popular with the American people. It was him personally that people just could not get behind. It was their his ego that they absolutely just hated so much. And there are some people that are willing to deal with Trump and his ego in order to be able to get his policies. But as we all saw in the election, the majority of people are not. So you can, I think that you can definitely see this through the election and how it played out, right? Donald Trump actually made some pretty heavy inroads to some places that he didn't have inroads in in 2016, especially within the black and Latino communities. Um, I think that you can, you can see that Donald Trump wasn't that far off of Joe Biden. Uh, he won the election by about the same amount electorally uh, that Donald Trump won in 2016, or Joe Biden did, um, and he really wasn't super far off with the popular vote either. What that tells me 
is that Donald Trump, I mean, literally, he shot himself in the foot over and over and over and over again all throughout 2020, right? He had every chance to win that election, and he just threw it away. I mean, Donald, that Trump, that election was still close, and Donald Trump, I mean, did an absolute botched job of the pandemic. He got coronavirus, stood up and took his mask off at the White House after getting back from the hospital, having COVID-19, still contagious with COVID-19, said a whole bunch of terrible things, tweeted a whole bunch of terrible things, would not let his ego be damaged even slightly. He shot himself in the foot over and over and over and over again. And it still was somewhat close. And a lot of that is because the majority of Americans did not hate Donald Trump's policies. They hate Donald Trump. So a lot of people are looking at Mike Pence right now and they're like, Mike Pence has held his own very, very well throughout all this. He's held his composure. He's done a very good job. He is kind of the standard bearer. He's kind of who we need to be looking to as our guy, right? There's pretty much no Republican that doesn't like Donald Trump. In fact, the vast majority of moderate Democrats don't even have a problem with, or I'm sorry, the vast majority of Republicans don't hate Mike Pence. They have no problem with Mike Pence at all. He was, he's almost kind of like the perfect mix of a lot of Donald Trump's policies with none of the baggage, None of the crazy stuff, none of him calling people's ne- calling people names, none of him uh, being incredible, uh, saying just egregious stuff. I mean, Donald Trump in 2016 made fun of a disabled man, right? You're not going to see any of that stuff with Mike Pence. Mike Pence is a clean-cut guy. He's smart. He's articulate. And a lot of people like him a lot. So this is why I think a lot of Republicans even are looking at Mike Pence like, hey, if you d- decide to be the person to just take the bullet and remove Donald Trump from office, all of the people that are Trump Republicans right now, yeah, they're not going to like you all that much, but they would still vote for you before they voted for any other Democrat. And the rest of the Republicans love you, and even a lot of independents love you too. Why don't you remove Donald Trump of the 25th Amendment? And let's go ahead and get this show on the road. We don't have to worry about an impeachment trial. We don't have to worry about all this other stuff. Like, you remove him. And if you're the one that removes him, there's going to be a lot of Republicans that are like, well, if even his own cabinet and vice president decided he was unfit, it looks like Donald Trump was unfit. So I don't see that happening, though. I think it's going to end up going to an impeachment. Do I see Donald Trump being removed from office by the Senate? Highly unlikely, honestly. I'd be very, very surprised if Mitch McConnell even actually carried out the entirety of the trial before Donald Trump would end up actually even leaving office on January 20th. So I I do see him being impeached by the House today. I absolutely see that happening. But the Senate actually convicting and removing, barring barring him from serving in another elected office, doubtful, okay? I think the Republicans don't like Trump, but they're also really, really worried about Trump basically taking the entirety of his follower base with him and just attacking Republicans in every single sense that he possibly can. So, with all of that having been said, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's hop on into story number two. So, for our second story of the day, it is especially true in politics that money talks. Multiple large companies have come out over the past week and said that they will no longer give to PACs that support politicians that voted against confirming the Biden victory last week. So listen to this list here. 
We've got Dow Chemical, Marriott International, American Express, Blue Cross, Airbnb, MasterCard, Commercial Bank, Comcast, Ford, Airbnb, Amazon, and that's just a few of them, okay? There are so many companies that have come out and decided they're going to start pulling a ton of political funding for a bunch of these Republicans that were in the House and also in the Senate that decided to side with Trump over all this stuff and actually vote to, you know, argue against the election results uh, in a bunch of different states. That is a lot of money that will be pulled from contributions. A lot. And this is a fantastic example of the broad marketplace holding representatives accountable for their actions. So, I feel like I hear a lot, uh, like there's a sentiment out there that there's pretty much nothing that we can do, right? When you hear all the stuff that's happening in D.C. and on Capitol Hill, you hear about the swamp, you hear about all the corruption and all the terrible stuff that happens that politicians are doing, you see them just swaying back and forth and you feel like, you know what, there's, a, there's really just nothing that we can do, I feel like it's all just, it's never going to get better. Well, these politicians are going to go in there and just do what they always do, and we're powerless to stop them, right? No, not true at all. We can do things in the broad marketplace, like affecting their pocketbooks, like going out and campaigning against them, like going out and, of course, voting for somebody else, getting somebody else to go in there. If they're, all of these super PACs are looking around, and they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We have all these companies that are pulling money from us because they don't like Josh Hawley specifically, well, they're going to be like, uh, Republic GOP, find somebody besides Josh Hawley. We don't want him in there anymore because the people that are contributing to our pack don't want him in there. The people don't want him. So it's really interesting because we're seeing a really good example of kind of like the broader marketplace companies and people coming together and being like, we're going to denounce all the stuff that you guys have done and we're going to make it affect you. So in the past... Most companies pretty much stayed out of the political fray. So leading up until about 15 to 20 years ago, really within the past 10 to 15 years, I guess, uh, companies, of course, would donate to uh, Republicans or Democrats if they felt like that specific person was going to help them out or pass legislation that would be beneficial to them. For example, if there's one party that's pushing tariffs extremely hard, then companies might go through and give donations to the other to party that's going against them because they're they don't want tariffs. It hurts their bottom line. But for the most part, companies kind of stayed out of politics because they didn't want the potential for consumers to not buy their products because they were extremely outspoken about a certain thing politically. However, over the past 15 years or so, you've kind of seen a lot of that start to change. And many companies are feeling like the sentiment amongst consumers is actually changing so that they need to actually change, the companies themselves need to change the way that they communicate about politics. Um, a lot of companies, instead of just saying silent on things, consumers are saying, well, no, we're associating your silence on all this with complicity. So companies are slowly but surely kind of having to come out and say, oh, well, we support this or we don't support this. Like, we back this and we don't back this. And it's a very, very calculated business risk, right? Like, these companies, at the end of the day, want your money, right? They're not coming out and actually thinking about like, oh, man, you know, I, I just really want to be able to vote for this Democrat because this Democrat holds a higher moral value for me. 
no, like they're voting for the Democrat because they think that it's going to make them more money at the end of the day. Companies can choose to contribute to and pay for whatever politician that they want to because, unfortunately, that's the laws that we have in the land right now. But what really is hilarious to me is how both sides of the aisle frequently get mad at corporations for espousing certain political views that are not their own, but get very, very happy when the companies promote their views. So a great example of this is how the entirety of the right side of the aisle um, boycotted Nike and boycotted the NFL. Like, I have Republican friends right now, and Republicans that I know, that still will not watch the NFL because of all the Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick controversy. You know, the players were kneeling in support of Black Lives Matter. They were kneeling during the anthem and whatnot because they wanted to be able to basically give a voice to black Americans that they felt like were being treated unjustly in the criminal justice system. Well, then... (laughs) When the the maker, the CEO of Goya Beans came out and kind of supported, half-heartedly supported Donald Trump over something, the entirety of the right side of the aisle was like, the only beans that I'm going to buy are Goya Beans, which is hilarious. At the end of the day, these companies care very, very little about the vast majority of the legislation that is passed because most of it doesn't affect them at all. They just want your money. Right now, these companies are looking out and they're like, man, if I'm voting in these Republicans that are actively pushing lies about election election fraud and interference, and as a result, people are incited to go down and insurrect and attack the Capitol building, that hurts my bottom line. Because in order for me to be able to operate as a, as a company, you know what I need? is a democracy. Like, I need a country, right? Well, one of the great ways to crumble a democracy is, of course, to attack the buildings in which democracy takes place. So, these companies are taking a calculated business risk right now, looking around, and they're like, well, we probably need to do something about this because if we don't, these dingbats are going to continue to get elected to office, and they're going to be people continually insurrecting and attacking places where democracy takes place, right? So um, it is very, very interesting to me, though, that a lot of these companies are just now kind of starting to get on the bandwagon with this. I think a lot of them have tried their best to like kind of stay out of everything as much as possible. Um, but in the end, they're kind of making their moves in order to be able to step in. And it always happens in a group, right? Like you never really see just one company come out and do something like they'll all, they'll all be kind of on the edge like, all right, we need some good PR right now. And then you'll see one company do it, and then you'll see another one do it, and then another and another, and then it just kind of like all dominoes, because then there's companies that are like, oh, well, everybody's coming out and hating on Josh Hawley, so I might as well come out and do it too. But anyways, it's very interesting, because I do think that this is going to hurt the Republicans' bottom line. And, you know, if these companies are directing that their funds not be given to certain Republicans because they disagree with the way that they've handled all this stuff with Trump, well, then those Republicans aren't going to get any funding and they're probably not going to be able to get reelected. So it all works out in the end. So with all of that having been said, let's hop on into our last story of the day. Story number three. So for our third story of the day, protests are still set for the inauguration and they don't look good. So the FBI released a bulletin this week saying that there are currently protests that are planned in the capitals of all 50 states and Washington, D.C. They are also warning that every single one of these protests is likely to have armed people there. 
So let's hop in and take a quick look. This is CBS reporting on this earlier this week. We are going to begin with breaking news because there's a lot of it tonight. As we come on the air, the FBI has issued an urgent law enforcement bulletin saying groups are planning armed protests at the U.S. Capitol and at state capitals ahead of President-elect Biden's inauguration. The FBI says there are also threats against Mr. Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, along with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Also this, Chad Wolf, the acting Secretary of Homeland Security, says... He's resigning just hours after he stepped up security in Washington, putting the Secret Service in charge of a national security special security event a week ahead of Mr. Biden swearing in. Now, the Washington Monument has already closed and the Park Service says it may shut down other areas of D.C. in the coming days. And we're just learning that at least two Capitol Police officers have been suspended, accused of joining in with the rioters who stormed the U.S. Capitol last week, including leading them through the halls of the building. All right, so um, a state of emergency has been declared in D.C. The mayor came out and asked Donald Trump if he would, you know, basically sign that a state of emergency was there. He did do that. Thankfully, um, a lot of state capitals are debating whether or not they need to do the exact same thing. In fact, a lawmaker in Pennsylvania came out and said that there were currently 4,000 people planning to attend protests in Pennsylvania. Um, And basically, these groups, which are incredibly well-organized, have put out uh, language around and directions around uh, where to go, what time to be there, and even down to the details of when to shoot and when not to shoot. Okay? It is very clear that they are not only organized, but they're also ready for a fight. These people are coming knowing that they are bringing their guns and knowing that they are ready to go and fire, start firing bullets at any point. So at this point, the damage has been done, right? I don't think that there's anything that can be done outside of the federal government deploying thousands of National Guard troops around the country. The difficult part is knowing where the biggest threats will be and snuffing them out before they get totally out of control. They, of course, are going to have the National Guard there in D.C., on inauguration day, they're going to be the um, uh, social, like basically all of the president's guards will be there protecting everything. Uh, the I mean, the Secret Service will be backing everything up as much as possible. I'm sure that various law enforcement agencies will be working with the D.C. Metropolitan Police as well. They will more than likely be calling in more officers from Virginia and Pennsylvania, some of the surrounding states, in order to be able to try and snuff out as much as possible. But my biggest question around this is really what these Trump followers feel like they're going to accomplish through all of this. Like, do they think that they're going to go up and kill Joe Biden and that Donald Trump will just remain in place? Do they think that they're going to go up and just hold a whole bunch of representatives or political officials hostage and then demand that Donald Trump remain president? And then, of course, he then just stays president for the next four years? Like, what do they think that they're going to do? That's, that's what I don't understand. It's clear that they want to do as much damage as possible and hurt as many people as possible. There were two pipe bombs that were left in the Capitol Hill uh, in the Capitol off, uh, building last week. Two pipe bombs. That is, that is scary, scary stuff. That is, that is terrorism, all right? And it looks like the federal government is really kind of starting to hone in on a lot of this stuff. They're going to try, I think, to do their best to keep everybody safe. But I think a lot of a lot of people in law enforcement are pretty scared about all of this. Uh, they're kind of looking around and they're like, well, if we have 
tens of thousands of people that show up to these protests armed with guns and ammunition and are ready to fight, we're going to have an actual civil war on our hands in the streets of D.C. That is so, so not good. So um, for me, I'm absolutely just confused, bewildered, dumbfounded, I don't know, um, about what these people are actually going to get out of all this. I'm, I'm especially confused because all of these people are going out and protesting for somebody that is going to leave office here in the next week or so, go down to his Mar-a-Lago estate, and pretty much live in luxury and forget about the vast majority of these people, right? Like, none of these people would ever be invited to Mar-a-Lago. I just don't get what 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 their draw is right like they they feel like at this point they're defending democracy and a lot of the for example within Pennsylvania the the this instance in Pennsylvania earlier uh they're calling themselves patriots defending democracy by brandishing firearms and insurrecting the places where democracy takes place it, it is is so confusing, and I, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it, but it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And we are living in some, some very, very scary times, to say the least, right? Like, we are talking about people that are willing and able to put their lives on the line to be able to defend somebody who, at this point, is completely indefensible. Right. Like Donald Trump does not have a leg left to stand on. He has gotten blocked in every single way that he possibly can get blocked. And yet these people are still going out there and stirring up violence and causing problems. It's not good. And the, I'm afraid the only way that they're going to be able to stop the federal government's going to be able to stop a lot of this is by literally having troops stationed in and around the inauguration and in and around Capitol buildings all across the country, which you know, is is not a good place that the federal government wants to be in. So with all of that, that is the end of our third story of the day. Let's hop on into our last segment, something that made me smile. So something that made me smile this week was the College Football National Championship. I stayed up late on Monday night watching it. It was a ton of fun to watch that game. I never thought that I would say that there would be another offense that I thought was better than the LSU offense that won the national championship last year. But I'm serious. I think Alabama's offense is up there. All right. If it's not number one, it is number two right behind that LSU offense. They played lights out. It was a ton of fun to watch. And I'm going to be sad that college football is over. We've only got a couple more weeks left of NFL football as well, so makes me a little bit bummed out. But, you know, it's been an interesting season, and I'm kind of ready for a regular, another regular season of everything to kind of get started back up next fall. So with all of that, that is the end of the show today. Thank you so much for stopping in, for listening, and for checking us out. Remember, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, my website at splitthedifference.com. Go and check me out there. Drop me likes. Drop me some subscribes. Give me some thumbs up and some five-star reviews. I need every one of those, and they go such a long way. Thank you so much for being here with us. Remember, as always, y'all, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We're going to always be reasonable. And, of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.